Well, hello, and we welcome you to the World Travel Dad Show, where we help you travel intelligently with your family. With trip planning, money-saving tips, and funny stories, we are a resource for your next travel chapter. We are excited to have you here, and we hope our adventure helps you with yours. Tips, jokes, stories, and overall fun for your ears to enjoy. Now here's our host, World Travel Dad. Welcome in, you found the World Travel Dad Show. This is the first episode from the wonderful country of Vietnam, Southeast Asia. We have left Thailand and I'm now recording from the balcony of our hotel here in Hoi An, Vietnam. If you're thinking of traveling to this region of the world, I'm going to have a comparison in the second part of the show of the costs, the various costs of the three countries of Thailand, Indonesia, and Vietnam. We're going to go through some of the living expenses and what you might expect if you take a trip here for any extended period of time. I will be in Vietnam for the next month, and I'll try to record as many episodes as I can to give you my first-hand impressions of this country. Like I said, it's a beautiful country, but we need to dig beneath the surface and really try to understand the culture. But of course, before we get to that segment, we will do headlines. That's my favorite part, and we do that as much as possible. Starting off is a country that's become near and dear to my heart, Turkey. You know that I went to Turkey earlier um, in my trip, and I really enjoyed it. But it looks like Turkey has dealt quite a blow to the efforts of Sweden, another country that's near and dear to my heart, uh, to join NATO. Turkey has said that at present they're not going to approve Sweden's accession into the NATO organization and the latest uh, excuse that they've given is that there was a Quran burning ceremony outside of the Swedish parliament in Copenhagen recently and so I wanted to delve into what's going on here First of all, the president of Turkey is Erdogan. Um, I think I heard someone say Erdogan, maybe? But that's, uh, we don't want to sound ignorant on this show, though it sometimes happens. Uh, It's pronounced Erdogan, so let's start there. We've got to get the pronunciation right. And uh, Erdogan has said that um, under no circumstances will Sweden join NATO given this Quran burning ceremony. The, the Quran was burned um, outside of the parliament by a right-wing uh, group in Sweden. I don't think they have any real power. I think they just like to uh, rustle, uh, ruffle feathers. Um, you know, they're like the Swedish Proud Boys, I guess. I mean, in the United States... You know, who really takes the Proud Boys seriously? I mean, we hear all the time, 
you know, there's uh, there's these right wing groups, there's right wing militias, and uh, but the truth is, it's really kind of hard for me at least to take that take them seriously despite what the New York Times is telling me um, not to go too political but you know January 6th you know if you're from the state uh, you're probably well aware of this event that occurred and shortly after January 6th had occurred the election was certified duly and only one person lost their life and they were one of the protesters and so that's not a threat to democracy. You you want to you want to talk about threats to democracy? Why don't you look at countries that don't even have democracy? Look at Myanmar. Look at the junta. Look at human rights violations all over the place. And so I think we're I think we're diminishing um, the threats to human rights, the threats to democracy. We just diminish it when we're when this this petty sort of name calling, this uh, opportunistic. You know, calling January 6th a threat to democracy, I think, is is uh, abhorrent. And I think it really does injustice to, to real threats abroad. Because here's the thing. In the United States, we have something called freedom of speech. And so we allow, we allow you to burn the Quran. You know, we, Sweden has the same thing. And so Turkey's not used to that. And some of these non-secular governments, some of these uh, religious um, authoritarian regimes, they don't understand that. They don't understand that we have freedom of speech and if we we allow you to say things that we don't like. And in fact, it's even more important that you allow someone to say something that you don't like. I mean, that is a fundamental tenet of our country, the United States. And so... Turkey's having a hard time with that. And frankly, from the research I did and speaking to our tour guide in Turkey, uh, I think that's an ongoing issue in Turkey. It's they're, they're regressing into a religious autocracy style regime, which, um, which the great Ataturk, the founder of the nation in 1925, as far as I understand, that was not his intention. In fact, he was trying to westernize the country. He switched over the alphabet to a Latin alphabet to to be more western-facing and make his country more accessible to others. And it's worked like a charm. I mean, Turkey is a great place for tourism right now. But the current regime is trying to turn back the clock on that. I think it's something to watch. I think it's concerning. But far be it for me, you know, to um, get too political on that point. But I would, I would like to point out that, um, you know, we have to see it from both sides. There, um, I heard George Gammon talking about this the other day. He had visited Istanbul, and he was taken aback by the call, the prayer, and how seriously religion is taken in the Islamic world. And I think initially at 5.30 in the morning when I heard my first loud call to prayer, it's kind of, it's like chilling a little bit. And I had to stop to think, you know, why why does the sound of 
Arabic calls to prayer, why is that scary for a Westerner? Well, okay. For one thing, that's all we ever see. You know, you, if you see, if you watch a movie, um, you know, in the United States, you're told Allahu Akbar means that, you know, the Islamic person is going to come kill you now. You know, Allahu Akbar is a very standard greeting. And uh, Assalamu Alaikum, you know, is just is a nice thing to say. And in fact, um, I can't wait to, to return to the Muslim world and to demonstrate, you know, one Westerner at a time that we stand with people who love their families and who have children and who are devoutly religious. And the Islamic world does not hate Americans. Um, and so we need to we need to not let popular culture we need to not let the uh, powers that be divide people and to tell us that we should be afraid of the Islamic world because they're all coming to get us and that Allahu Akbar is the the call to come get the Westerners and uh, it's just appalling. And one thing I'm proud of is the fact that um, I'm going to raise children that don't dehumanize things, people that they are unfamiliar with and cultures that they don't know. Because at the end of the day, we're all humans and our DNA is exactly the same. And a lot of our differences are trumped up and created by political entities for personal gain. And one of the mantras of this show is we need to stop looking to politicians for guidance. Politicians will do whatever they can to get reelected. They're narcissists. It's the only thing they think about. Even the good ones. Once you get into office, you try to your next goal is to stay in office. You know, an honest politician is an out-of-work politician. They're all lying to you. And once you realize what they're trying to do, you can look past that and you can see people for who they are. And you can you can see that we should not be afraid as Westerners of the Islamic world. And we should embrace it. Islam with open arms we should embrace Hinduism Buddhism any any religion we should embrace because these religious texts I haven't seen a lot about this lately but I know there was this argument that the Quran was somehow inherently a violent text but look you know during Christian crusades I mean they were using the uh, Old Testament to support violent attacks on people. You can you can generally twist words to 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 meet your goals and to use them as a tool. And so we need to understand that that's Islam's not an inherently violent religion in any way, shape, or form. It's it's a it's a it's a wonderful religion and it's based on 
humility and it's based on doing good acts and it's really you know there there are wonderful parts to it and there are wonderful parts to christianity and um you know i don't want to turn this into a religious podcast but you know thomas soul said you know there are no answers there are only compromises and i think that's going to have to be what happens here with sweden um they looks like they ain't getting into nato and so you know for all you uh all you warmongers out there that that want to beef up NATO and want to put up this, you know, huge show of force, um, that's just escalating tensions, and it may not be the worst thing that Sweden doesn't get into NATO. We may not agree with what Turkey's doing, and they may be doing it for some sort of political negotiation, some sort of leverage. Maybe they're going to want something, but. I think it's a very lazy opinion to to immediately disagree with what Turkey's doing. Yes, they don't have the level of free speech that I grew up with and I hold very dear. In fact, one of the things I'm learning in traveling to these different parts of the world is how important our freedom of speech is. And I always go back to the founders, the founding fathers, Yes, many were slaveholders. Uh, no, John Adams was not a slaveholder. Uh, Abigail Adams and John Adams were vehemently anti-slavery. Um, yes, our country has a lot of warts from the past that we absolutely should never forget and we should continue to deal with. But we have so many good things about our country. And it really frustrates me when the Beyonce's and LeBron's of the world make tons of money bashing our country and then they won't stand up to real human rights violators whom they do business with. And if you didn't see it, Beyonce did a concert in Dubai, which is a country I'm going to at the end of the month. And Dubai has spotty human rights record, of course, and so does China. Uh, LeBron makes millions of dollars a year, many millions from deals with Chinese companies and I've said it before I know we're supposed to be all pissy with China but uh, I've you know been around a lot of Chinese people in Thailand and now in my first few days in Vietnam there's a lot of Chinese here it's a Chinese New Year it's also Tet here in uh, Vietnam and um, I come back to it all the time these are um, people are, are good inherently we have a lot of capacity to do good and we really need to try to understand each other more and it's very fortunate that I'm able to to travel and I'll continue to report kind of what I see on the ground but um, I think you just need to use proper critical thinking too I mean these right-wing Quran burners in Sweden are very fringe you know do do we attribute actions of like the Proud Boys in the U.S. to all Americans? Of course not. We're a very diverse country, and it, you know, you pick out a couple of nuts, you you can nut pick anywhere. Um, and so I think maybe I would like Turkey to maybe rethink um, their stance. Uh, there's you know perhaps uh, some good things about 
Finland and, and Sweden, you know, joining NATO, but uh, looks like for the time being that that's not going to happen. So, other than that, seems like somewhat of a quiet uh, news week. The U.S. dollar continues to disappoint. You know, I'm thoroughly disappointed. I hope that my listeners bought the Wise account when they had a chance because it's too late. I mean, unless you think the dollar is going to take a further dive, which some people are calling for. Some people are saying that uh, the, the clock's going to run out on the U.S. dollar. You know, we continue to we continue to weaponize it, use it against people as a bludgeoning tool. Uh, we continue to print money in our own country. We continue to run massive deficits. And everyone I talk to who is sanguine on the dollar says, oh, you know, well, we're the best bet out there. You know, everyone's doing the same thing. And I think that misses one major point, that we're doing it to the tune that has never, ever been seen before. No one has ever tried to run $33 trillion deficits. I mean, no one's been allowed to. We're the only country that's ever been allowed to pull this this scheme off. And we're just, you know, completely flushing our credibility down the toilet. Um, and it breaks my heart. But you can, you can protect yourself. And this is not a financial podcast. And I give no financial advice. But there are things you can do, um, you know, coming down the pike. Um, you can see murky waters and uh if you just want to watch the u.s stock market you know if you just want to watch bitcoin is that if that's if that excites you okay that's fine but i think there's a lot beneath the surface we really need to start peeling back so those are the headlines We'll be right back. I can't tell you how versatile the Wise Card has been for my travels. From paying for my kids' school tuition in Ubud to wiring the tour company payment for our snorkeling trip, the Wise Card has been there for me. Let me explain how it works. From the States or anywhere, you purchase foreign currency and keep it in your WISE account. It becomes your de facto foreign bank account. You purchase at the current exchange rate. If you think the dollar is at its peak in value, purchase a foreign currency, pay a very minimal fee, and voila, you have your short dollar position. Congratulations, you're now a foreign currency trader, and you didn't have to open a bank account in Montenegro. And fellas, your wife wants to go to Italy. She's sick of the bowling alley as your idea of entertainment. Why not start by opening your WISE account today? If you use the link in the show notes, capitalize with at least $300 US, World Travel Dad gets a minuscule kickback that I promise to use on cheap beer. Take your wife to Italy. Let's get back to this thing I'm calling a show. I'm now recording from Vietnam. 
I'm at a homestay here. They don't do Airbnbs in Vietnam. Very uh, regulated country, and so they do homestays. And I believe I'm staying here with a family-run villa that's lovely. And uh, the front desk lady who is wondering what I'm doing out here is very nice. Very pleasant. We've talked to a lot of people that speak decent English here in Vietnam, and that's a difference from Thailand. And so if I had to rank the the three countries I've visited now, Indonesia, Thailand, and Vietnam, in terms of English proficiency, I would rank Vietnam number two. I'd rank Indonesia number one. And... Thailand coming in number three. I mean, I talked about it before, but um, expect very patchy English all throughout Thailand. Um, It doesn't diminish from the experience. It's been my favorite country so far in Southeast Asia. Vietnam has, if if Vietnam wants to displace Thailand in my hierarchy as an overall enjoyment, they it's got its work cut out for it. But my first couple of days in Vietnam tells me it's up for the challenge. Um, I I hear so many people say such good things about Vietnam. And now I, I'm starting to get a little sense of why that is. So I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. I wanted to do a, a quick cost comparison. I think that's really important. If you're going to be traveling to this region... I was actually just talking to someone on Facebook who's in a world schooling group. <clears throat> of course, wor- world schooling's the term of art that's used for what we're doing with our kids. You, uh, you know, you're homeschooling, but you're not at home. And you know, there are these communities that kind of meet up, and they all put out the word, you know, hey, we're we're going to be in like Pai, Thailand, which is some small town up in the mountains that suddenly experienced this huge boom because a lot of Westerners said, this is where we want to go world school our kids. Um, My wife and I are are not really that big into the world schooling thing. I mean, the communities, because to us it seems strange that you would go all the way across the world and then just go meet up with a bunch of people who speak English. But be that as it may, we definitely have tried to be social it is important for our kids to meet up with other kids to play. Um, it t- takes a lot of stress off of, of us and, and pressure. We all get sick of each other, and you need to have outlets. If you're going to try to pull off one of these trips, you, you have to have outlets. But Vietnam, to me, seems like it's a very affordable country. You know most of this region is um, relatively affordable. You know, it's going to be cheaper than Europe for sure, but it's not as cheap as it used to be. And Thailand was, um, it was just not as, as cheap as we had heard. And I think a lot of people come to the region thinking it's going to be like dirt cheap. And uh, it's just not. Um, I think there are places in like, Lao, you know, I used to call it Laos, but that's not, that's not cool. I don't know what I'm, you know, you have to pronounce it the right way. It's Lao. 
it's so cool these days to like Lao. Um, just like it's cool to like Vietnam, you know, that it's the in country. And I think Lao has some places that are really cheap, but you know, they're off the beaten path. They're in the middle of nowhere. So that you're always, you're always balancing, you know, going to the Supreme tourist destination, like a Phuket, but that's going to be super expensive. Or you're going to Cowtown middle of nowhere hill country in Lao and maybe you're staying for eight dollars a day somewhere but you're you know sleeping with cockroaches the size of your hand you're uh scrounging around for food that's just not something I can do with an eight and eleven year old I mean it might be a fun experience if you're like a 22 year old backpacker but it's time you got to grow up you can't live that lifestyle all the time. I mean, I think Thailand has been the most expensive of the three. I think initial reports look like Vietnam is going to be the cheapest, but it's close because Bali, believe it or not, especially in Ubud, is pretty cheap. And you could... uh you could find very, very cheap, good food. And that's what I look for. I look for cheap beer. That's the BCI that we talk about, the beer cost index. And uh, the BCI here in Vietnam so far is, is good. It's a good BCI. It's better than Thailand's. Thailand, uh, Thailand's BCI was, was a little frustrating at times. Um but we're still talking a couple of dollars for beer, which I know that doesn't sound like much, but when you drink beer every day, like I do, I mean, it adds up. So you really got to be thinking about that, but I can get a dollar beer here in in, uh, uh, in Vietnam. I'm in the town of Hoi An, which is a, it's a UNESCO world heritage site. There's a lot of old architecture here from the French occupation in the 1950s but that's about it they that's the only thing they left that was french vietnam is a fiercely independent country they gained their independence from china in 938 a.d 1300 years ago they've been an independent country ever since with little spurts of occupation like the French were here. Um, you know, there's always tensions with China. I mean, it's 1,300 year, years of tensions with, with China. China is directly bordered to the north, and Vietnam and China share the South China Sea. Uh, but Vietnam has been very clear that they're their own country. They're not China. They're It's a socialist republic. Um it's there are no elections that I can tell and there's a hammer and sickle on every corner so it's definitely socialist but the the Vietnamese government I'm I'm sitting in Vietnam so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go political and comment on the human rights stuff I mean that's for another day but the government very um, astutely has adopted a lot of con- uh, capitalist policies 
And so they become a real sort of beacon of capitalism in the region. And it's very interesting to see that in operation. Um, you know, it's Southeast Asia to me in general is, I call it the land of, of a thousand jobs. I mean, you, there's, there, there, anyone can have a job. There, there are things you can do. Um, the, the economy just kind of keeps on chugging along on a, you know, on a diet of coffee, cigarettes, and like noodles. And everyone seems to be happy, relatively healthy. Um, it's nice to see the children playing and being happy. And it's nice to be in a place where, um, things generally seem to be going well. And I would, I would urge Westerners, Americans to really embrace countries like Vietnam, get over the fact that there's a hammer and sickle and a socialist icon on every corner. I know it's uncomfortable. Not every country is going to be exactly like the United States. And you always have to remember that the U.S. is is ranked 44th in the world in terms of corruption levels. We There are 43 countries that are less corrupt in the world rankings than the United States. 43. So I'm just here to tell you, I know this sounds strange if you're listening to this, but the U.S. is not the overall best country in the world. I know. I know we were told that. Um, I think in many, many ways the U.S. is the best country in the world. But... So if you take two things away from this episode, the U.S. isn't the best country in every single category. We're not number one in everything. And politicians are not there to bail you out. They're not there to help you. I mean, they're just not. I, I, can't, I can't put up with it anymore. Both, both parties. We can't, we can't keep living our lives thinking that we have people like ruddering the ship who are all-knowing. I mean, who are these people? They're all, a lot of them are, are lawyers. You know, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers are good at, like, very limited skills, but when they, when they try to act like, and I do this too, you know, I, I try to, I try to uh, go outside the uh, scope of, of my training, and it's, it's pretty pathetic. And I know I have, uh, I've tried to get into the, the digital marketing field a little bit and, uh, it's very humbling because first of all, there's way more money and commerce involved in digital marketing than any component of personal injury. (laughs) And so personal injury lawyers, when you, they think they're, they're, uh, such big shots, man. You know, such big shots. And they don't even know that they're, they're playing in the kiddie pool. They're playing in the sandbox. There's a lot bigger industries out there. And digital marketing is running the show. And I am not good at it. I don't understand it. I don't understand the magic soup of SEO. 
nobody will read my blog posts organically. I mean, I know kind of a little bit about it, but anyway, I digress on that point because uh, we're getting to the end of the show. But overall, I think you should, coming to this region, you should expect to pay a lot less than you would in Europe. But it's not like it used to be. People are going to tell you, oh, you should have been here 20 years ago. Well, that's not helpful because you can't. You don't have a time machine. You're here now, and you need to budget properly. We have a rule that you can only go out to one sit-down meal a day. And people think I'm crazy because they think, you know, you're you're in Southeast Asia. You should eat every meal out a day. Look, I pay the bills. I've seen what would happen to your budget. It would evaporate. Okay, it's it would be a death by a thousand cuts because you can't make a meal. There's a certain level. You can't make it cheaper than that or else the people don't make money preparing the food for you. So they're not going to be there anymore. So it has to be, you know, you, you, not, you know, USD uh, dollars, I would say a, a solid sit down meal, even in a cheap place like Vietnam, it's going to run you 28 bucks. And that's a that's a solid meal. It's a, you know, you have a beer, maybe an appetizer, maybe a little fruit for dessert. But you want to do twenty eight dollars times three every single meal you eat out. You're spending a hundred dollars a day on food. That's double the budget that I set out for this trip in food. So that's not tenable. But I'm happy to report that there are a lot of uh, roadside noodle stands. And uh, my son and I ate at one of those last night. I still can't get the girls to to join us on one of those. But we talked to a guy. He was he was there with his wife cooking up some noodles. Uh, the pho noodle. That's the Westerner like lazy pick because that's the one we've heard of. Uh, fortunately, we, we went for that because I didn't know what anything else on the menu was. And the guy was out of those. And uh, he, we, he recommended the next one down with sign language because he didn't speak English. And these, uh, the second noodle selection was excellent. And so I don't th- I'm not going to eat the pho anymore. That's such a lazy Westerner thing. I mean, everyone in the States has been to a pho place. Um, you know, the PH with the, with the, the O. Um, people say pho. I don't think that's the correct pronunciation. And uh, you think you're eating Vietnamese at the pho place, but you're eating like a stri- you know, stripped down Western version. Um, we're doing a cooking class on Thursday, and I'm going to get into the weeds on this stuff. I mean, it's, it's what I live for, so I'll report on that. But uh, you got to step outside your comfort zone. And sitting down at these, these like tiny little chairs, I don't know how my big like Western frame like fit in this thing, but... It was really cool, and it was comfortable, and the food was good, and it was like a dollar eighty USD. You know, you crack a beer with that and make it two dollars and eighty cents, and you know that's living. So, I'm really sorry about all the politics. If this is your first time listening to this, uh, don't don't uh, switch it off. Uh, please hit subscribe, and. I try to do one of these per week, if not more, and I, I'll try to keep the politics down, but I had to attack the NATO story because it's something that 
I think we need to keep discussing in terms of not being afraid of the Muslim world. I think Americans can can look past all the Hollywood stuff. Not all Muslims are out to get us. Uh, we've interacted with a lot of the Muslim communities, and they're they're just amazing, just like uh, just like Americans are at our, at our best. You know, I think I think it's an amazing country, and it's I'm not going to back down from that opinion, even though it's popular these days to make money bashing our country. So have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to this show. I am constantly trying to improve through the process of iteration. Your time is valuable and I appreciate you spending it here. We are now available on Google, Apple, and Spotify. Wherever you are listening, please take a moment to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe. And I promise to do whatever I can to send you good vibes.